This is the one with Killer Killer Crinoid and a Brutal Boise. Aggressive rhubarb and homicidal gooseberries. And the most famous painter of flowers in the world. It's called The Seeds of Doom. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalent Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read all night juice, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What up, podcast land? It is I, Leon, coming to you live-ish from the Who Back When studios, and with me today is Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, it is I, Jim. Hello, and- Leon. <laughs> Hello, you, Jim. Le- Leon, me, Jim. And this is episode C085 of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Past. Correcto Mundo. Today we are talking about the seeds of doom. Yes, season finale. Season finale. Not to be confused with Seeds of Death, Oh, which okay. is an Ice Warrior serial. And they're almost called Seeds of Doom, Seeds of Death as well. well. That would just be ridiculous. Agreed. It should also not be... Con- oh, I don't know what else it shouldn't be. Con- you know what? Screw that. Is this not the best serial ever, Jim? I, I super enjoyed this. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> this hit all the plus points, I think. In every conceivable way, right? Quite possibly. I think we, we're we probably going to rip into little bits. I'm not sure. Oh, there are tons of things to to yeah. rip into. But I want to... Okay, you know what? I'm going to... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what my starting rating is. Oh. <laughs> and then... Brave. Talk me down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm starting this one from a, a point of view of 5.0. Wow. Yeah. Okay, okay. Because this serial is perfect. It is absolutely perfect. And it's nostalgia-ridden for me. You know what? I was feeling the love as well. Uh-huh. We we had a little chit, chit-chat off-air yeah. and said, oh, let's put our ratings down. You know what I wrote down? No. 4.8. Oh, nice. That's not too far off. So, <laughs> what will we end up with? We shall see. Before we end up somewhere, we need to start with something. How about we start with a bite-sized chunk of who? Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Some Antarctic scientists have just discovered a pair of seed pods in the ice and naturally make the fatal mistake of thawing one of them. What they don't know is that these are crinoid pods, and mankind just went to the bottom of the food chain. Smooth move, science. While one of the Antarctic explorers is taken over and turned into a homicidal vegetable, plant aficionado and Bolland villain wannabe Mr. Chase sends two of his hardest henchmen to reclaim the second pod and preserve the green glory of garden variety goodness at the expense of all things flesh. Four roots good, two legs bad. B-scow over, over. you You are are welcome. welcome. Aren't you just... Where would you like to start? I... I kind of want to start at the end, actually, of just how beautifully the c- Cthulhu <laughs> crinoid... Yeah. Okay. Let's rip jump it, straight to that. Ripping the mansion apart was... <laughs> that was just gorgeous. Fantastic, right? All the tentacles. The miniatures also. Splendido. Yeah. that That's probably the best effect I've seen in Classic Who up to this point. I think I probably must agree with you. I mean, okay, so compare this effect of a gigantic alien either superimposed on an existing house or 
plonked on top of a miniature house. Yeah. Compare that with the gigantic robot in the serial robot. Worlds apart. Yes. And like, that was a dude in a suit. Yeah. I think they were sensible in that they didn't do too much of the large creature superimposed behind or in front of the, the actual house. Yeah. Because it's, it's the miniature that looked amazing. And I think they, they were sensible to save that as a climactic thing at the end. Yeah, that's true. But also, the, I mean, the what would you call it? Is this just like plain old prop work? The gigantic tentacles that crash into windows or that are crushing the, not the foundation, like the, the, the structure of the little cottage where they hide for a little bit. Oh, yeah. When the, the corner, the, the corner of the building is cracking from the inside. Fantastic. That was, that was amazingly well done. And you know what? It was exactly the right time to do it as well. Because they, I think we just had a tentacle burst through the window for the second time. Uh-huh. And I was starting to think, oh, is this the only thing they're going to do with this? This is a bit weak. <laughs> this, this is shitty. We've not got much budget BBC coming coming out here. It's just like, oh, we've got this one tentacle. Let's just throw that through a window again. But no, then it starts crushing through the ceiling. And it's just like, yes. Oh, so good. Well done. I love this cereal. <laughs> There might be one other serial that I also remember, not quite scene by scene, but where I remember exactly beginning, middle, end. It did not harm rewatching this at all. I would rewatch this. I think I would, actually. Right? Mm. I think... So I watched this in two sittings. So 4.9, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I watched the first three episodes yesterday and the last three episodes today. Okay. And to be honest, when I was kind of flashing back through my notes, I was like, oh, yeah, this all started in Antarctica. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that seems like months away in terms that was of, ages ago. In, yeah. of what I remember watching. Uh, but I think the real positives of the pacing of the serial is that I don't mind that it started in Antarctica and finishes in this. Well, it actually finishes in Antarctica. But, you know, it finishes in this mansion in England. And it seems a bit far fetched for all this kind of stuff to be happening. It works. It it is paced right, and you get why people are going between these places and what have you. And it doesn't seem as outlandish as a lot of other classic Doctor Who serials do, even though this is still the kind of taking over the world or you know destruction of the world level stakes. It's done in a way that you kind of accept it more. And I think um, just in intensity and scale of motivation and stuff. So you. You've obviously got Chase, who is a Bond villain. Oh, he exhibits all the signs, all the traits of a Bond villain. He has a lair. He is super wealthy. He wears black gloves he, all the time. Except once, ne- inconceivably. Oh, did he take them off? I was going to say, once. I didn't think he took, ever took them off. Uh, he has henchmen. He, uh, what else? He's a fanatic. Oh, man, I made a whole list of these things. His guards carry machine guns. Uzis at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Can you even get guards with those kind of weaponry in England? I don't like, think so. I don't think that would be, be legal. That's got to be some serious paperwork uh, to get that. Yeah, that is not legal. Uh, oh, I only had one other thing on my list of what makes him a Bond villain, and that was that he has a tendency to let the good guys live a little bit too long. Yes, but to show them the thing he's going to kill them with, which is completely convoluted, I'm not just going to shoot you. I'm going to crush you into compost. Turn you into compost. <laughs> but is that not exactly the gold finger? Exactly. I'm going to cut you down the middle. Yeah, yeah. For no reason whatsoever. Then I'm going to have to mop up this place. No, it's, it's so James Bond. <laughs> like, this thing manages to get James Bond, The Thing, Cthulhu. Um, I'm sure there's some other things thrown in there. Um, yeah, and, I'm sure. And oh, Triffids. Dear the Triffids. Yeah, Triffids. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and 
it doesn't feel like they've crammed a lot in. No, 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 not at all. Oh, sorry, I think I may have misunderstood your point before. I, I was going to say that location-wise, it, so it goes from this incredibly grand location of the Antarctic. This, you know, it, it could conceivably all be set in the Antarctic, and we could have the thing all over again. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. Uh, not all over again. This is before the thing, as we, as you rightly pointed out before you press record. But the the fact that we go to this mansion makes it manageable in such a way that. It, it makes the fact that this is a global threat believable. We've already seen it at that grander scope. And we, we st- it starts so small and it sort of germinates. I'm not trying to pun here. Like, but, it, I mean, it grows. It is rooted in... So- oh, no, I am trying to pun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is genuinely growing in scope with every episode in such a way that it becomes a credible global threat. Yes. Even though it is just set in this one man. No, I did like that. I... Again, I think it was it was well paced. Like this is yeah. a six part episode, which to be honest, I I do struggle with them a bit because there's generally a dip or but seven. not in this case. <laughs> but it didn't seem it didn't seem to have that. And I think every point I was starting to think, oh, I'm not quite sure if the stakes are high enough here, or you know, something would just come in. So when the the crinoid gets the second crinoid creature gets fed and starts growing, you start to think, oh right, no, this is different. And then it's just like, well, it's still a monster. It's still a a slightly bigger than a man monster. Next thing we know, it's as big as a house. Yeah. And you start seeing how this thing could take over the planet because it's escalated so quickly. And then the doctor throws in a line about how it will germinate soon. Yeah. And it will send more of those pods out. And it's like, oh yeah, actually no, I could see this thing taking over the world. Yeah, exactly. Because this whole, yeah, this one house was covered because one dude turned into a vegetable. Exactly, yeah. From one pod. Well, and now this gigantic thing is going to disseminate how many pods? We don't know. That's how many houses. That's already like one thing has turned into a village. Yeah. because And this- then one village can easily turn into a county. This isn't one house we're talking about either. This is one mansion. This yeah, it's a grand estate. Freaking enormous thing. You would get half a village into anyway and in some weird m night shamalama ding dong way it controls plants that aren't oh yeah Grinoids, yeah another which thing is incredibly cool yeah yeah wait, wait hang on can we go back to the very beginning so we we've now we've covered the end a little bit can we go back yeah. to the beginning yes let's do it the thing the antarctic base yes why is there always one fucker on an Antarctic base who refuses to grow an unwieldy beard? <laughs> Obviously, that guy buys it right away. But how do you feel about the ambience on this base? As in, that it, you feel the isolation? If, or? Exactly. I was yeah. say, they, they feel, it feels isolated. These men, it seems so small. It seems so remote. There's just that element of they're in radio contact with someone who's going to send help, but we don't know how long it'll take, and we don't know yeah. if the weather's going to be a, an obstacle. And It's just so incredibly well done, but with very little, sparingly few details about life on this base. We get to zoom out at one point, and we see the whole base, and it's a huge operation. Are there only three dudes there? I forget, actually, what stuff they alluded to, because I, I think they say the generator powers multiple buildings. Yeah, like the full base. That's when we get to we, yeah. we get to zoom out and view everything before it blows up. Oh, you know what? And I'm going to have to shift gears and talk smack about this episode very soon, but I, I don't want to. <laughs> I think they referred to themselves on the radio as, like, Camp 5 or something, which implies there are four other, camps, four yeah. other at least camps. So, I yeah, I don't know if they're the only, only people in that base at that point. I think that is the implication. Okay. So yeah, they are they are very isolated. But we never get to meet the other people. Well, I think there, there are other crews around and obviously the support team catches up with them eventually from somewhere else nearby. Okay. 
So Chase sends two henchmen to this base. Yes. These henchmen are, I mean, I, I love them. I think they're fantastic. And I, I love this serial to bits. But these henchmen, as much as I adore them, they are pure pants. One is a biologist who doesn't know that he's working for the bad guy. <laughs> and one is the most over-the-top, super aggressive, mega-sadistic henchman slash mercenary who worked everywhere from the Middle East to where I can't Africa, remember. I Africa, Latin yeah. America. <laughs> you, you weren't buying them? <laughs> First of all, I don't really buy their alibi. It said that they were flying a private plane and just happened to be in the vicinity. So I looked this up because that didn't seem reasonable to me. And the closest country to Antarctica, so if you were saying they're, they're not Antarctic explorers, they're just yeah. dudes on a private plane that accidentally headed in the wrong direction. The nearest country to Antarctica is Argentina, the tip of which is 1,238 kilometers away. <laughs> <laughs> w- would that little plane even have enough fuel to carry them that far? Why do people buy this? Because they didn't look it up, because they didn't have Google back then. Okay. (laughs) Okay, fair. (laughs) How do you feel about the henchmen? I think I was very confused, actually, when they first appear in Antarctica. Okay. But I I came to absolutely love Scorby in the way you hate him. (laughs) And just the fact that he's Boise from Only Fools and Horses. Right, so you have to explain this, because I found the reference, but I don't know it. So, yeah, he's a beloved character from a beloved show... I don't know. He's he's a bit of a weird character in Only Fools and Horses. He, does he play a? He, he doesn't crop up all the time. He's like not one of the main kind of core three or four cast members. I think. Is he also aggressive? Is he? He's a bit rough and ready. Okay. But he, I think he sets himself as a more legit businessman than <laughs> than everyone else. Businessman. Yeah. All right. I, I don't see score. I might get might get some it. corrections from this. I'm, I do like Only Fools and Horses, but I've not seen it for a very long time, and and not the biggest fan. But I. I feel like he, you could kind of imagine Scorby turning his mercenary days like behind him and settling down. Trading and, his Uzi for a briefcase. Yeah. Well, not like full on business, like just doing deals here and there. Most of which are a bit legit. Some of them not so much. Like you can kind of actually see his character here going into Boise. He wouldn't even need to change his outfit, presumably. He can be a shady businessman and still rock a dark suit and a black turtleneck underneath. Oh, defo! Yeah, such a such a henchman uniform. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's Keeler, isn't it? That's the the reluctant bad guy. Yeah, as I, as I noted him now, he's the one I wasn't quite getting. Like, how did he get attached? Like, I get that. There's this Harrison Chase character mm. who is obviously collecting lots of rare flowers. If yeah, you're a botanist, you... He's into flowers. He has an, an unhealthy obsession with plant life. Yes. But like, if you're a botanist and you want to study some stuff that he has, like you, I could see how you might end up at his mansion and I guess so, yeah. get a relationship going. But He seems to have like be renowned for his collection. People know about this, so the broader biologist community may talk about him in their salons. Yeah. We have at least one biologist in the audience, by the way. Ooh. Yeah, Dr. Zed. Hey, if you've ever heard of Mr. Chase-esque characters out there, you know, <laughs> let us know. And also, be careful. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if they were offering you a trip to Antarctica to go and see a, a seed... Maybe just would, don't. But would you, like... I mean, obviously you would. Would you? Wait, excuse me. Who would pass up on a trip to the Antarctic 
to see a well, seed pod. I don't know. I mean, you might assume. But go, that. going with a mercenary. But you wouldn't know that he's it. a mercenary. He would show up with a briefcase. It's only when you board the Cessna that he opens the briefcase and takes out an Uzi. I feel like they knew what they were going to do. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what Keeler's playing at, but he no. does have a. I mean, his conscience gets gets the better of him towards the end. I mean, towards the end of like part one or part two, maybe when he just. He's, I don't know. I feel like he still kind of goes along with everything. He's just very reluctant through he it goes all. along with everything but yes it is reluctantly but he does so under duress because even i mean there's that fantastic little uh, interlocution twixt the two of them where uh, scorby goes listen here's what we're gonna do we're gonna dig a hole it's large enough to house five people and then we're gonna fill it <laughs> <laughs> and he's like we can't do that I was like, well i guess we'll have to dig a bigger hole then buddy I mean, it, that's not just reluctance. That's he's fearing for his life. Yeah. And towards the end, when he defies Scorby, he does so knowing farewell that he is going to die in the process. I think like he does that for the greater good, needs of the many, and all that, all that stuff. Sorry, elaborate on doing it for the greater good. As in, okay, not the greater good, as in mankind, because I don't know if he knows at this point what's going to happen. But he does so because he doesn't want to be responsible for the murder of at least five other people. The three dudes. In the base and Doc and Sarah. Yeah. Okay. And he knows that he like this is murder because yeah. Corby at this point is going like I'm going to blow up a power plant and that's going to somehow blow up all the buildings. Wait, explain that bit to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it works. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt like just blowing up the power plant and leaving them without power was that's enough a death sentence really yeah but why does detonating a battery kill everything within however far that makes no sense to me no i'm super happy that it happened though how do you feel about the unit b team oh right what's his name is it even the b team it's it was not the a team (laughs) uh what's his name the colonel sanders you know what i don't think i even wrote down anyone's name from unit because major beresford beresford that yeah it. <laughs> yeah the brigadier is once again in geneva yeah they were apparently toying with the idea of bringing in the brigadier and benton which would have been fantastic yeah i guess they would have had to they would have had to write in benton because there is no real secondary no there's a guy that hangs around yeah who, who buys it though and they can't they well, can no. write benton in and then kill him he could have they could have rewritten that yeah i, I guess, guess so i don't know he could have survived but yeah, no, that is a fair point. They just knocked him out in the last one, so why couldn't he be knocked out in this one instead? You know, apparently they opted against it because it would cost too much and there wasn't enough screen time for them to merit it. Oh. They went I, for the cheaper no-names. I read a thing that said uh, oh. Nicholas Courtney wasn't available again. I've, I thought this was the long-standing, they pissed him off and he's just not going to oh, really? have a comeback in. Oh, well, I, I don't know. I, I found this on TARDIS or IMDb. And both are crowdsourced, I think, so yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Well, this um, is also apparently the last regular appearance of Unit. Yes, until like 1980-whatever. I don't know. In Battlefield in 1989, we get another major appearance of Unit. Well. They will show up, like there will be references to them, but no like major Unit story. That's a crazy long time without what has hitherto been a major player. I think I find it odd that they have kind of bothered to sort of drip them into the odd story in this series because they were right there at the start with Robot. Yeah. And then I think drifted away and we've only had them a couple of times since then. Well, they've established that Unit is on Earth. Like if you are on Earth in the late 70s slash early 80s, they are there 
and they are ever vigilant. So yeah. if they didn't have units, then they, maybe people would have reacted and gone like, yeah, but, but why not? Why would you send in the military or the police or something when you have units? I guess. I guess it could be interesting actually to see how they handle that then. Because you're right, they... Yeah, I have if, no idea. If they come back to Earth, it's going to be obvious that unit isn't there. Yeah, if there are just policemen or the home guard or something, I shall not be amused. <laughs> we shall not be amused. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got another question for you. Another player. How do you feel about Sir Colin? This is... Wait, wait. Sir Colin is the guy that's a civil servant and seems to be... Yeah, he's like kind the, of running the show. Yeah, he's <laughs> the latest in a long-standing tradition of <laughs> corpulent, wrong side of middle age aristocrats just running major ministries somehow yeah. connected to the paranormal <laughs> <laughs> or alien. <laughs> the shitty X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> so Colin, there are lots of these where, where there's just... Sir, and then first name. First name only. Sir Colin, Sir Bill, Sir Frederick. He's, I think he's Thackeray or something, is it? Yeah. His surname, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I I didn't fully understand who he was and how he fitted into everything at any point. <laughs> but isn't it great? <laughs> kind of. I don't know. And then Dunbar, who is... Which well, one's Dunbar? Oh, Dunbar's the one who's actually working for Chase. Well, he, he sells... He sells every. He he's sells just the, after money. And the Chase, government out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Chase goes here. I, I believe we agreed on a giant suitcase of money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I believe that. It, it was one giant suitcase yeah. or two. Uh, not going to bother counting it, and we're not going to use any actual amounts. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we agreed on a suitcase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this this feels about right. Yes. Okay. If I was a suitcase full of hundred. Pound bills. How much would I weigh? About this. Yes. Pounds okay. or guineas? Pounds and <laughs> guineas. <laughs> yeah, I don't know my old currency well enough to know if... I looked that up. Did he overpay that? No, he freaking shortchanged Miss Ducart oh, really? by 5%. Uh, so uh, a guinea was 1.05 pounds when they switched over. And right. I think they're still considered this, but guineas obviously no longer in use. But yeah, so she goes, I, I think a thousand guineas would be okay. That's a th- 1,005, pa- sorry, 1,050 pounds. And he just goes, I think pounds. though she, the original price was 750 or something like that. And she went, oh, with interest. Oh yeah, with interest. So he went, oh, let's call it a thousand pounds then. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you know what? Okay, I take it so, back. It's fine. I think it, I think it works in the transaction. But okay, this, that scene. Go for it. Oh, bloody duck it. Because we have to talk about Ducket. <laughs> what, what the what, why, the? what the fuck is why, that what you're trying to say? Why in that scene is she like all sinister and like I don't know? She just turns smoking into smoking her cigarillo. Yeah, like he doesn't go like, excuse me, you can't smoke in here. I love plants, and you're destroying yeah. the environment. <laughs> it's just you're smoking like, a plant, you murderer. <laughs> <laughs> say a prayer before you cremate that <laughs> that leaf. But yeah, she's like. Leaning in front of the fire and like she's the coolest old old lady ever. Like she's like Miss Marple. Miss Marple on steroids. Yeah, she's <laughs> like Miss Marple and uh, Jessica Fletcher adopted a daughter <laughs> and raised it on nothing but spy stories. Oh, oh you know what? I, I finesse that in post. <laughs> 
But she hardly gets to do anything. I, I was expecting more from her after this, but she just goes back to the car. And she gets into the car it. and is like, wait, hang on. You've been, you have been a, an agent all along. That's amazing, isn't it? Do you think she was all along or she just got in contact with them because the doc had come to see her? And I think Doc convinced her, Doc and Sarah convinced her that something was afoot. Yeah. And that coupled with the fact that he still hadn't, that Chase still hadn't paid her. Why? I don't know. I think it sounds like you just forgot. Do you think so? Yeah. Innocent mistake. See, I don't know. I mean, I, I felt like he was Donald Trumping her. It's like, I have all the money, but I'm just not going to pay my laborers. <laughs> that sort of thing. You want this? You want this money? <laughs> Dance for it. Dance. <laughs> but why wouldn't he think it's weird that she shows up at his front gate unannounced in the middle of the night? I don't know. Well, I feel like he kind of did. And then Boise was just like, oh, you better let her in because it'll get weird if, if you don't let her Oh, in. that's true, isn't it? I quite like that bit where Boise had to suddenly be on his best behavior. Oh, right, yeah. Because, I mean, he's escorting Jessica Fletcher around the house. Yeah. It's like, oh, this way. And the guard, guard runs up and says, oh, we've nearly caught that, um, <laughs> that, that rat. Yeah. <laughs> Still toting his machine gun, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jessica Fletcher's like, I'm fine with this. Yeah, I'm sorry. If I walked onto an English estate and there are people with machine guns. In matching uniforms. Yeah, I'm out of that place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You keep your thousand guineas. <laughs> like I said, I don't quite... Just staying on Jessica Fletcher. Go for it, Duca. I don't quite know what to make of... Oh, here's this painting by this artist that I recognize, obviously, because I know all the artists of famous flowers <laughs> yeah. or, or famous artists of flowers. Of flowers. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> and, oh, I know exactly where she lives. It's just down the road. She's a neighbor of our antagonist. <laughs> like, I was so convoluted that, yeah, this... Just left in the back of the, the car as well. In the boot of the car is the picture. Yeah, why? No, that's it's so ham-fisted. And you know what? I'm still on 5.0. I, I'm just going to... Yeah, I can explain it. It's, they literally just picked it up. No, he's meant to bought it ages ago. Ages yeah. ago. It yeah. has why no business. Why is it in the business. boot of the car? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe it is like Trump-esque arseholism. He doesn't even want yeah, that Yeah, he doesn't. It, it's like, <laughs> yeah, there are... There was a slightly damp patch in my boot that I, I wanted to soak up. <laughs> it's the equivalent of blowing your nose with a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I jump into alien territory just for a moment. Okay. The um, the crinoid. We've talked about this before on Who Back When when we um, uh, oh what's it called when we reviewed the claws of Axos. Okay. You may have seen this in a trivia section somewhere. I'm going to find a picture. In fact, I'm going to go to whobackwhen.com. Why don't you all do that if you have access to a computer? <laughs> when we reviewed the claws of Axos, we encountered uh, aliens, the axons, and uh, we mentioned that at a later stage we would encounter them once again, yet this time they would be green. Uh, if you can see that picture. So they were brown before. So what they did was they, in order to make the axe, the crinoid outfit, they took the existing, the last remaining existing axon uh, prop, oh, I see. and they literally just painted it green. So we have encountered this alien before, but it was red at the time, or nice. orange or whatever. Did you notice it, or could you remember the trivia? 
Uh, I, or, I already knew about yeah. it, so I, I I can't claim to have noticed it as such. But uh, so, quickly seeing that photo, I think I probably would have gone, oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah, yeah, that's that guy. It even has all that. I mean, it looks exactly like it. Yeah. So. At least uh, that's just one form of the crinoid that we see. We see so many probably forms. about six. I don't know. Yes, yes, definitely. And also by the... Okay, oh, oh man. All right, hang on. Can we give JD a shout out at this point? By all means. JD, I don't even know if you're listening to this episode. You may not be. And if you're not, I don't blame you. So JD has... Uh, uh, as he has mentioned on this podcast before, he has a rather strong aversion to the concept of living plants. And he and I once reviewed an audiobook with crinoids called Hothouse, and he was not pleased. In fact, he added a comment on this episode, this the, uh, the one that we're now reviewing on Facebook, just to say... He might just, instead of a mini, submit six times 25 minutes of him screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But on that note, I also want to say, not the first time we've encountered living plants in Doctor Who or in Classic Who. There were also the Varga plants in uh, uh, Mission to the Unknown, which is the sort of prequel episode to um, the Daleks' master plan. And that is also a case where a plant will somehow infect you with its spores or whatever and turn you into another living plant henchman Uh, Mm. this is infinitely more sophisticated but but still on that vein of sophistication i did not expect to hear the crinoid speak i know pretty cool eh I yeah. did not remember that either. I remembered it from the audiobook and thought that was just something that was constructed afterwards by Big Finish. Did like, it work for you? I, th- I think at the time I was a bit taken aback and was slightly unsure as to whether this should be happening. Okay. Because I kind of felt like the, the point of it being plant life is that it wasn't sentient. And <laughs> like it was that kind of, it can create a monster out of an animal, but otherwise it's just a plant. And then it speaking implied that there was a consciousness behind it all. Okay, so a question for you. Is the consciousness actually the human that has been subsumed by the plant? I guess it could have been. I think for the most part, though, I decided I just didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very cool voice, and it set up this moment where the Doctor has to convince Scorby that he shouldn't give the Doctor over, hand the Doctor over, because the Doctor's the one that can save him. Sarah Jane has a wonderful moment of actually saying... The Doctor has put his life on the line before, and uh, I don't know. There's so many things that kind of wrapped up into this this one little thing of yeah. just the crinoid going, hand over the Doctor and I will spare you all, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So I, I let it all slide. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm probably with you on that one. I didn't even really consider the science behind it or the logic behind it, but in terms of ambience, I'm also entirely on board. Yeah, and I think it added into the just the continual escalation of what the crinoid was. Yeah, where are you going to take it from here? Either either you make it just bigger, as in larger in size, or you make it more profound, yeah. more sinister, and giving it reason is making it sinister. That it, I mean, it, it means that for itself, morally, it is justifying all the destruction that it's wreaking. Yeah. Or or it is making use of the, the human that it originally had. Because it refers to Keeler, like, like they're addressing Keeler inside, and it's like, Keeler was the human I devoured. But it also either. says, yeah, you're right. But it also says he is now part of us. Yeah. as a oh, And come come and join us. Some kind doctor. of gestalt entity thing. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe that's the collective conscience of plant life in general, that maybe that's how it's later on controlling all these other plants around it. 
You know what? That might be the only thing I don't really buy. I don't really buy. Why should we feel that the crinoid is such a big threat when it turns out a crinoid could just be a tiny thing because then all plant life becomes the threat? And we are surrounded, like we are in the green hills of Surrey or wherever this is set, and like every blade of grass is potentially out to kill you. Yeah. In a shamalama ding dong kind of way. Have you seen The Happening, by the way? No. Oh, wow. You have dodged a bullet. (laughs) (laughs) My pause there, which probably won't come out in the edit, was actually, I don't think I've even heard of it. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) But I think that is why it's quite a good foe, is that there's the immediate threat that we're seeing with the the people that we're following. Uh And this is another serial where everyone but the Doctor and Sarah Jane and unit who appear later yeah basically anyone who is tightly involved in the start of the story dies oh that is so true isn't it yeah yeah no one walks out of the mansion no one walks out of antarctica other than sarah jane and doc and well scorby and keela come from the antarctica to the mansion that's true and then they both die that is true the The only other people who survive are major beresford aka colonel sanders yeah it's all the people that arrive late for the party aka jessica fletcher yeah and sir colin yeah, most of unit get out of there. Yeah, but they're like, they're all, they're not red shirts in that they don't die, but they are green shirts in that we can't tell them apart. Yeah, we don't, yeah. don't give a shit about them. Exactly. Any, anyone we really care about or know the name of. Yeah, no, Stevenson, Mobley. <laughs> Mobley. Mobley. It took me a long, I, had, I basically had to look up <laughs> what that name was, because I thought it was like Mowgli from the Lion King, but with a B. Oh, really? <laughs> the, way, the way everyone was saying it. Wait, Mobley from the Lion King? Not from the liking. Oh, the from Jungle Book. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I kept trying. I kept wanting him to make a call to someone so I could make a note and say, "Oh, he's making a mobile phone. Like, he's calling someone <laughs> on his mobile phone." And alas, never happened. Yeah, I, I started writing down like the list of characters, and it's mostly filled with the Antarctic lot. And it's like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. they're all dead now. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I super like the Doctor in this. Yes, thank for you. The, Let's talk most- about Tom Baker. For the most part, I think there's a couple of points where I was just like, "Oh, why is he being shitty again?" Oh, how dare you! Wait, which which parts uh, are you? Referring I think to? it it's mostly in the Antarctica bits with the. Oh. I'm guessing he is a, a botanist, Stevenson, the beardy guy. Yeah, he. Steve, everyone is beardy except for what's his face who buys it in the beginning. Oh, okay. Um, the more kind of lovable looking beardy guy who yes. you, you'd tickle under the arm. <laughs> <laughs> You know who I mean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think... So he's the one that has accidentally revived the pod. Yeah, he's like the biologist there. Yeah, he seems like this. He's the scientist. It's it's another one of those moments where the scientist guy has done something that is quite reasonable for a human to do. And the doctor is way too judgmental about the fuckwittery <laughs> of <laughs> this stupid human. <laughs> Does he not, however, okay, oh, I was going to say, does he not, does the doctor not get a bit of a pass because he knows the consequences? Well, a little bit, but it, I don't think he, is. it comes in it way too high off the mark. It's just like, don't you know the, this could kill the entire human race? And it's like, well, no, it's, it's <laughs> this How am I supposed three to inch seed pod, <laughs> <laughs> which has been in the ice for 20,000 uh, yeah. years. Why would I think that thawing it would cause any, <laughs> any trouble? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, agreed. But that aside, I feel like 
This is a good Tom Baker Doctor oh. serial. You know what? I hadn't even registered what you just uh, pointed out as criticism. I think this is peak Tom Baker. This is perfect Tom Baker. One of my early notes about the doc in this is him putting his feet up on the desk. I like that. Which is... I'm in and out of his shoes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, because they have little sporiny bits on. Yeah, it looks like he's wearing golf shoes or something, but he's taken the spikes out. Oh. They're like black and white brogues with, I don't know what you would... Yeah, it looks like they have little holes in the sole, and it seems like he's, you know, removed spikes. Wow, that's a weird detail. <laughs> it is a weird detail. Oh, I, you know what? Screenshot. Screenshot on whobackwanna.com. Yeah. yeah. But I, I liked the, the flippancy of that action, because that... That's what we saw right at the start of Tom Baker's... Oh, yes, in Robot, in the Jeep. Exactly. Oh. And I've been waiting for it, because immediately that framed what I thought Tom Baker's Doctor was going to be about. Like, it's a silly little thing, just putting his feet up, feet up on the desk. Yeah. But it suddenly, it becomes his thing. It, it has done in my mind anyway, and I was glad to see it again. Yeah, I think I agree. It's, it's something about his flippancy in yeah, the situation. There's a bit of arrogance behind that move. Yeah. But there's also a lot of playfulness. Like, the, the whole... You know, oh, he's ready to go. He's brought his toothbrush. You know? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of playful... Or the uh, turn around, Doctor, and he turns yeah. full circle. I mean, th- there's a lot of humor in there. And I think I think right after he's done that turn around thing, like, Scorby's got a gun on him, and he just he doesn't <laughs> let up. I haven't, I haven't written down the things he says, but he's just continually just playing with him and antagonizing yeah. him. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and then there's a later on piece when I think he's going back to see Sir Colin. Uh-huh. And he just barks at him. Is that the one? Oh, what? Sorry. Where he's like almost barking at him, like just headbutting him almost. Oh, I didn't really notice that. <laughs> no, it's when he's, he goes into the building and he just runs over some flower beds, like oh, some pot, <laughs> like massive potted plants. He just he just runs over them, like rather than going around. <laughs> it's just, like, I feel like that was Tom Baker. I, I feel like that wasn't scripted. Yeah, you you're know, right. It's, it's, it seems like one of those things. I, I am a hundred percent on board with your theory, <laughs> and I think that just makes this even better. Yeah. And it's good because I I feel like you need a few moments like that to to go, yeah, this is Tom Baker's Doctor. This isn't just someone else you could substitute in. Yeah. And we had a, a lot of that throughout this whole serial. I felt like, yes, this was written for Tom Baker. Tom Baker was on board with this. He wasn't directed badly. He didn't have the flu or, you know, <laughs> things we've kind of complained about before. It's like this just all kind of sat really nicely as a Tom Baker serial. I, I think I agree with you. But saying that, this this serial also includes a lot of action. There, there are a lot of scenes which, when applied in, to other serials that we've watched, other Tom Baker serials that we've talked about, we've said, that's a Pertwee element that they've introduced here. Tom Baker shouldn't be fighting dudes or jumping through windows. Here he, like, straight up Steven Seagal's through a skylight... <laughs> And just kung fu's everyone in the room. He pulls a gun at people today. Uh, today in this one, yeah, that that I think is a big negative point. I mean, he is. He says, "Sorry, Sarah Jane says." I made a note of this. She says, "But you'd never use it." And he goes, "True, but they don't know that, do they?" Yeah, but still, he does pull a gun on them. He does. I like that they they do reference it though. They don't just let it slide. Yeah, that's which true. which kind of brings it around as a just a yeah plus or minus in its own sense. True. I think. Do we have to question, though, that maybe this is what Tom Baker's Doctor is? Maybe it is. Every now and again, he is willing to get the action to get things done. 
It's less in your face than when Pertwee did it. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's using the right tool for the job, I suppose. It's like, yeah. this yeah, exactly. requires action. I'm going to be action. No, yeah. <laughs> how do you finish that sentence? <laughs> I'm going to be action man. I'm going to be action man. That's how you finish that this, Okay. <laughs> when he, when he just breaks Scorby's neck-ish, when he, he grabs his head and twists it, and Scorby goes down like a, like a lead balloon. And then a oh. moment later, Scorby just goes up, gets back up again and touches his neck. Like, oh, man. Wow, that really smart. Is this when he's just landed through the window? Through no, the I, think it's, no? I think it's later in the garden. Oh. He, he somehow, I mean, I, I assumed that he had broken his neck, just like straight up killed him and bolted. Uh-oh. I tell you, he does seem to get the better of Scorby on a number of occasions. Yeah, <laughs> Scorby is not a, a great mercenary. <laughs> For someone who's quite, I'm not going to say blasé, but quite boisterous in his wanting to kill people yeah doesn't actually kill anyone does he it's because he re do you think he's a henchman who fancies himself the villain you know the villain always wants to do things in a very elaborate way in an uh, overly elaborate yeah. way scorby could just have he could just have shot the doctor and sarah oh, yeah. on a number of occasions but instead like, i'm gonna tie you to this radiator and then <laughs> yes. i'm gonna put a stick of dynamite in <laughs> In the battery. You're right. He was the second Bond villain all along. Yeah. <laughs> or at least with Bond villain aspirations. Yeah. Sarah Jane and the Doctor, I think, actually are good in this. Just to expand upon this. I agree with you. How do you feel Sarah Jane compares... How do you feel both of them compared to the last few serials that we've had? I think we've had elements of both of the positive things we're seeing in this. I think, again, this is. it feels like... Like, this is a really good end of series serial, I think, in my mind. This yeah. feels like it took plus points we had seen them both exhibit uh-huh. and we mostly only get those plus points like the things that we've complained about before were, were mostly absent the things that we've always exuded positive things about before are mostly present that's true i think it just seems to be a, a condensed kind of like yes sarah jane is like taking control of the situation she's rescuing the doctor but now the doctor's using his love of humanity to uh-huh. turn situations around and say no you guys have got to solve it yourselves and then Sarah Jane again steps up to the plate and says, yes, you guy there with the zoology degree, you're, you're obviously the best qualified person to hack off a limb. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's little, an incredible little... scene, by the way. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, I was, I was basically done just saying, you know, little things like that all kind of wrapping it together. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Sorry, I made a note of the amputation scene as just one that really stood out. So Doc feels that the best course of action is to amputate What's-His-Face's beardless chap's arm, even though he is covered head to toe in this thing. It is clearly in his bloodstream. It has replaced... Like, chlorophyll is coursing through his veins at this point. He goes, cut off the guy's arm. It'll slow down the process. It's not going to cure him. It will slow down the process a little bit. But he refuses to do it himself, turning to the biologist. And he says, you must help yourselves. Yeah. What does that mean? I took it as, I don't know, I don't understand why in this particular moment does he want humanity to help itself. But I, I took it as that was the sentiment. He's not addressing this one person saying, no, you've exactly. got to help yourself. No, no, exactly. You're right. It, I drew a parallel with the uh, Capaldi episode when they're on... Is it the moon one? Kill the moon or shoot the moon or whatever it's called. When they're like, we should blow up this whole thing before it potentially hatches. But we don't know what's going to happen to it. And he he tells Clara, I think it's Clara. Yeah, it must, yeah. It, he tells Clara, like, listen, I can't make all of your decisions for you. This is a major 
major moral decision you need to make up your minds for yourselves. Do they do it with the Starship UK or whatever it was as well? A similar kind of thing? I don't oh, know. I don't remember. I feel like it might crop up a couple of times. Probably. This kind of humanity has to take some responsibility but, for its progress. But why would he Why would he choose to do so in this one? Yeah, I, I, I don't get the timing of it. So if you compare this to Pyramids of Mars, where... He sees a dead dude just shoves the corpse aside because there's no time to lose. Humanity is at stake here. Mm. Here, it's just like, maybe cut off this guy's arm. We'll have an extra, let's say, half an hour to interrogate him about where the other pod might be or what he's going through. I guess you could kind of explain it as this one action here isn't going to save the day. Not doing it isn't going to really escalate things. It's it's a, a small piece of the puzzle where... Humanity is encountering alien species. Yeah. It's seeing the effects they cause. It's working out ways of dealing with it, like bottled in this little moment, perhaps. It's like, yeah, don't freak out. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you've got this, you guys, <laughs> sort of thing. Okay, sure. I don't know. I, I, I found it odd. I, I did find it odd that I, it's, it's this moment, but it is a wonderful scene, though. I didn't think about it enough myself, but I agree. It stood out to me as a strange scene. And back, back to Sarah Jane and Doc. Oh, yes. I like the fact that Sarah Jane rescues the Doc from the compost machine, and then the Doctor rescues, rescues Sarah her. Jane. Yeah, you're right. Like, it it seems really convoluted that this happens. They seem more... But it kind of came across mostly naturally. Yeah, maybe that's just a nice little bookend in a way. They felt more like a duo in this one than in other episodes where it's like either they're doing their separate things or the Doctor does most of the work and she's a damsel in distress. In this one, they were, for much of the serial, they were together. They were facing terrifying danger (laughs) together or they were just meandering together. Yeah. And they, it's a good thing. I, I want to see them more on screen because those two have tremendous chemistry. They do, yeah. They really do, right? When they're working towards the same goal, that it, does, it works really well. Even when they're antagonizing each other a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Not counting the ones at the time a few serials ago when they were in like a chicken coop or something and he was basically just spitting in her face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was not well written. That wasn't, that wasn't the doctor. No, I think there were there were a few moments where the relationship wasn't quite right, where okay. Sarah Jane is still treated like the damsel. So there are a couple of wait here, Sarah moments where previously I, I was defending it as like, this seems to be their dynamic that the doctor <laughs> just says, wait here. And, and then she does investigative reporter mode and buggers off. Yeah. Whereas actually a lot of times, I don't know, for some, some reason, the, the intensity of this serial got to sarah jane i think rightly so okay and she did stay put so a lot of times she was just kind of put in a safe place and it's like yeah stay there pretty object (laughs) (laughs) you can't help at this point (laughs) pretty object or yeah like he he lowers her down the other side of the wall to escape but then but then stays in himself and she immediately gets captured anyway and i don't know it's just oh yeah that's a bit but was there another motivation behind that like was the intention that she go to sir colin or that she fetch soldiers or something like that it might have been i think yeah that, that could well have been the case but i don't, I don't know it was, it was just something about the nature of it and the way he still he still p- physically picks her up when he rescues her yeah, from he d- the... which is completely unnecessary by the yeah, way yeah exactly absolutely unnecessary he has untied her and then in any way <laughs> yeah which yeah. I don't want to dwell on it too much because we have to accept 
the time it was written and yeah. all, all that kind of thing. But it's just, you think you're, you're so close to perfection. And oh, it's just these little things. I know, I know. Kneeling away. Sarah Jane does manage to get one line in, in defense of women in the 1970s. Oh, she does. You're right. And is it is it against Scorby? Is it to Scorby that she says this? Yes, I think so. Because he has, let's see, hang on. So he's told the gods have left and he's like, typical, just like a bunch of women. Yeah. <laughs> and then cut to a few minutes later, not cut to a few minutes, that's, that's a contradiction in terms. A few minutes later, she takes charge and goes like, yeah, what was that you said about women? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the 1970s. That's a even though it may not seem like much by today's standards in the 70s. That's that's something that we haven't seen. That that's something that we didn't see in the 60s. Basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, that was wonderful. Yeah, I can't. So I think this is a situation where all the all the guards have run away, and Sarah Jane is the one that is willing to go outside. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the setup, isn't it? I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah. My my note is yes, Sarah J. <laughs> <laughs> On point. <laughs> Funny <film. laughs> Another, I believe, Sarah Jane line, which <laughs> I mean, I, I'm pretty sure this is a dick and balls joke. She goes, "It's a case of one veg and no meat." <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if that originally was a dick and balls thing. Wait, meet, what? I don't know. Meat and two veg. I know. What is she otherwise referring to? I know there is generally the concept of meals in England in particular back in like the 50s and 60s. Oh, really? Where you had literally meat and a couple of veg. Oh, on dude, I'm so disappointed. This was clearly a dick and balls joke to me. Well, it possibly is. It was a singular ball joke, in fact. <laughs> One ball, no ball companion, and also no dick. <laughs> that was the first draft of this script. <laughs> and then they finessed it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there's a there's a puppy on. <laughs> if we were to jump to the very, very end, I mean the very, very end of this serial, since we're talking about Doc and Sarah Jane. Yes. It ends on a lovely moment between those two. The have we been here before? Or are, are we, we yet, yet to come? come? <laughs> <laughs> Cheesy as fuck. Yes. <laughs> but very nice. No, it's, it is very nice. It's so full of hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole, oh, we're going off for somewhere to holiday, and they end up back in Antarctica, and Sarah Jane's like, don't tell me you forgot to change the coordinates or something. <laughs> yeah. She already knows exactly how the TARDIS works, and yeah. it's better than he does. <laughs> also, I love that scene, though. I do love that scene. Am I am I okay to segue into a negative? Yeah, yeah, please do. I'm I'm not going to manage. <laughs> Go for it. Because I, I do feel like Sarah Jane, at the very least, possibly more people should have died in Antarctica through their poor clothing. Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Mostly Sarah Jane, because I think she's just running around with her jacket flapping around. I don't know. I I recently listened to American Gods. Oh, right. Which is my, my basis for um, understanding how the cold affects you at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> just through one, li- one little scene in it. So this is when he's sitting in the car? No, it's when he's, he's just walking. He's walking around in Canada and it's like minus 40 degrees. Oh, right. He's got like a nice thick jacket on, but you need proper thermal shit. Yeah. <laughs> he's walked like 200 yards and is nearly incapable of keeping himself alive. Sarah Jane should have been collapsed within about 
five seconds yeah. I feel like oh no uh, agreed I mean, they're in pain it's so cold in the beginning when they arrive but then in part three uh, the when the helicopter crew shows up and saves them she has been lying in the snow yeah and has not frozen to death in yeah. the meantime it's it's absurd there's a, there are a few scenes here where i feel like we may have had this in recent tom baker as well whereby the doctor's physiognomy is proven to be completely different from everyone else's yeah he seems kind of godlike actually yeah i mean he is impervious to the cold at this point yeah it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, I didn't bother bringing any other clothes. And when everyone thinks that he is dead and he has frozen to death, or he, he is dead and he's frozen to death, when everyone thinks that he's frozen to death, they turn him around and he's just kind of, oh, hello there. Yeah. As though he's just been napping and hasn't even noticed the cold, let alone cared about anyone else. Yeah, it's obviously an intentional thing to do, but I'm not quite sure what they're trying to say about Time Lords. Yeah. It's, it's a difficult thing. Like, you don't want to turn them into supermen because that just gets boring. Yeah, and they were almost at risk of doing that with Pertwee. Right, in the action stakes. The action stakes, but isn't there a? Isn't he able to freeze time or something? There's a. There's something I can't remember what it is he does now, but there's something where he just like he feel like he freezes time. He does what? Uh, yes, he does what Eccleston or similar ish to what Eccleston does in the second ever Eccleston episode, the end of the world, where there's the massive propeller and Eccleston just like takes a deep breath and walks through it. Uh, but that was cool, though. <laughs> that was cool. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know the Pertwee reference. Okay. Oh, I don't know. I, actually, I don't know if it was cool. I think that was pretty dumb. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, was it, was cool it was a cool effect. It was a cool effect. It was, yes, oh, I can't hate you, Eccleston. <laughs> too good. How do you feel about the Floriana Requiem? The organ musicist. Yeah, the old Tilineus. <laughs> Well, my note is, what is it with this shitty music? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not letting up on the bagpipes from <laughs> the Nessie episode. And what do we have? Oh, in Pyramids of Mars, we had the horrible organ music there. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. It, uh, someone on staff is obviously getting a boner for getting in some really weird music. Creepy music, yeah. But it's not creepy. It's just weird. <laughs> I have just found a plant pun in my notes. Ooh. In part four, I wrote, Dunbar will be pushing up the daisies very soon. <laughs> Before we run off. Wait, hang on, sir. Do you have any further points? I have one last kind of arcing thing to talk okay. about. Do, what, what do you have left? I was going to volunteer some quotes. That was it. Okay. Nothing highbrow. But um, remember, no touch pod could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Also, I understand policemen are few and far between in the Antarctic. <laughs> and, <clears throat> this is Jessica Fletcher. Invent a code word. They love that. What about Operation Nuthouse? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That was nice. <laughs> anyway, sorry. What were you going to say? I don't know. I, I think I'm going to throw in a, a few quotes I've written down. Okay. So we've got Sir Colin saying very early on, that chap you called him from unit. Is he? Oh, actually, no. This is probably Dumba. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Something that someone says quite early on. Okay. <laughs> that chap you caught in from unit. Is he quite sane? <laughs> is this the same scene where he comes in carrying a chair on his head and then puts it down and does not sit in it? I don't know. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly is. It would it would segue nicely. <laughs> you know what, actually? I don't write I didn't write down that many. Oh, I did write down an interesting quote. Mm-hmm. Which I'm hoping won't spark a massive other conversation. Okay, here we go. <laughs> but the doctor says our planet 
will be doomed. Oh, oh planet. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Okay. So, analyze. Well, is it just a fluff in the writing? This isn't how the Doctor refers to Earth normally. Is it that maybe he takes a little bit of ownership in a way? <laughs> or does he just... He maybe just feels that he belongs here. Yeah, possibly. I guess it could be interpreted in a way that he cares about it. So when you talk about, like, you shared a moment with humanity, like if you shared something close with someone and you talk about it's our song or it's yeah, it's, it's our sunset, you know, maybe it's it's our planet. It's our you know, planet. We, we've had all these shindigs together. Yeah. I mean, we've experienced just as many shindigs here, human species and I, individual. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I'm interpreting it. Okay. <laughs> so the, the the last big topic I was interested to talk about mm-hmm. was the kind of gruesomeness, the darkness of it. Yes. I think the point that really hit home for me was the, I think, unnamed unit soldier who gets knocked out and fed into the yes. compost maker. Oh, my goodness. It's off screen, but that does not yeah. matter. That makes it no less horrific. So that's, that's horrific because that guy was alive. Unconscious, but alive, yeah. I think. But he got brutally smacked around the head with a, a wrench as well. Yeah. And that, even though I, I know that's a prop, that looked like a really heavy, heavy whack. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like the actor... <laughs> probably got a bump. Yeah. He probably didn't enjoy that scene. I was, no. was going to whoever played Chase, like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> that's That's not what we went told at stage school man <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's not made out of foam <laughs> <laughs> but then later on chase himself dies screaming in agony into yeah. the same compost thing they clearly either spent a lot on renting this machine or spent a lot on building this bro yeah they did they did like the compost maker that's sure. yeah i mean they spent a lot of time on it yeah. rightly so it deserves all it's the real star of like part four <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no i mean i see what you're saying there's the compost thingy there's the amputate someone's arm which in itself is pretty gruesome yeah uh, there's the general body horror of changing into a different being. That's a terrifying yeah, thought. Uh, what else? What else? What else? I think the way Scorby gets killed in the oh, he gets drowned. lake. Yeah, the, yeah. The way the 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 plant life just kind of comes up and grabs, grabs him, him, pulls him under. Yeah, like there's quite grotesque and physical things happening throughout this. I think. Yeah. Plus, it is just generally scary. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily the most child friendly of serials. No. It's the, terrifying at, at times. Yeah, to the point where the favorite of the era, Mary Whitehouse, again complained about this again serial. I believe. Bloody. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this I feel like as a kid, this one would definitely scare me. Yeah, I think I remember being a little scared by it. Yeah. But mostly from I mean, mostly kind of the the JD aspect of it. The it not uh, okay, sorry, not the the aspect of oh, it's a sentient plant, but the the body horror of turning into turning, a plant. Yeah. That's the scary bit. I'm, yeah, I don't think I remember anything else really being super scary. I mean, it's like, oh, cool, giant monster. But that in itself was... I think I was probably about 10 when I saw that. Yeah. Didn't fuck me up. <laughs> what else? I feel like there's more horror in this. I mean, there's a lot of guns. Or there are a lot of guns. Someone gets shot, right? A unit soldier gets killed as well. How does the unit soldier get killed? The only one I think of is the one we mentioned who gets fed into the 
Composter. I thought there was another one. Is like a no, another no-name one. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm probably misremembering. But... I don't know. We, we get them all being attacked by the plants in the Harrison's greenhouse type place. That's also true, yeah. His green cathedral, whatever it's called. Yeah. And, and then Hargreaves actually does get killed in that. And I don't know. I think the, the plants attacking scenes are done very well, actually. Yeah. They're, they're proper scary, actually. You, you feel like... Maybe M. Night could take a really lesson from this book. That. Yeah. Yeah. Take a page out of Seeds of Doom. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just scanning my notes here. That it, I've, on a number of occasions, just said very violent. Uh, and once I contextualized that from part four, when there's a fight between, I want to say, Scorby and the Doc, where Scorby just pushes Doc into some bins. Like, he's being captured, and he just throws him onto, onto this pile of... Oh yeah, metal bins, and he's he's not faking it in any way. He is just falling onto them. They don't seem like lightweight aluminium props or anything. That must hurt. Yeah, he probably got some bruises from that. Just that one stunt alone. Yeah, that was another scene where I kind of was thinking, "Hang on, there's some ad libbing going on here." Yeah, Tom Baker is not happy right now. No, no. <laughs> he's going with it, but he's only going to go so far. Or he's thinking, "Bafta, bafta, bafta." <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to rate this. Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Well then, well then, well then. <laughs> so we did an <laughs> unprecedented thing of giving out a score at the start of this episode. Yeah. What did you give it again? 4.8? 4.8. Right. That's not very And now I have it. to say some words and, and then tell you whether <laughs> I'm still giving it a 4.8 or not. <laughs> Which might be a surprise to myself, actually. Really? Because <laughs> I haven't thought about the score. I've just thought about oh, okay. summing this up. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see where my brain goes, eh? In terms of summing it up, though, I've, I feel like we have kind of hit on everything I wanted to talk about. So I'm just, I'm just regurgitating. But what I want to say is that there is still an outlandish plot here, as you would expect from Doctor Who in general, and particularly classic Doctor Who. But I find it believable. Mm. I think the pacing of it, the scale of it, fits better with the sense of peril for the the individuals involved in the story but then the threat to the entire world you get the escalation with this alien life form and how it can take over the world you're led to slowly understand how that could happen and you've always got the immediate of threat of this crinoid taking over humans and the kind of monster attacking individuals element of it i think it's a really well crafted thing because of that I think we've got the Doc and Sarah Jane being on top form and back to what we want them to be, I think. As, as we said before, it's like bottling the, the good bits and leaving some of the, the crap aside. For the most part, for the most part. I like that it's quite dark and gruesome as well. We're, we're seeing some of the deaths and the way the plants are attacking and taking over people. The Like you said, the body dysmorphia thing. Like the, This is pretty dark shit. Mm. It's going to... Gonna have some of those kids hiding behind the sofa, definitely. Oh, certainly. And then we get some wonderful effects. We've got the explosion of the Antarctic base. Gorgeous. We've got the Cthulhu, which I'm probably mispronouncing all the time. Um, <laughs> crinoid model. It's gorgeous. We've got the explosion of the crinoid and the mana together. Gorgeous. Like, they made some wonderful models and had great fun blowing them up by the looks of it. <laughs> like, it's, it, it was, I think... I've not even thought about the sets. I think they obviously 
used the fact that they had this location to shoot on at the the manor and did lots of kind of Scooby Doo esque running around it in the outs outside for a bit, but they used it to to good effect. I think there are some minor niggles though. Sarah mm-hmm. Jane is still portrayed as a slight damsel in distress on occasion. She gets lowered over the, the wall and immediately captured. The doc physically picks her up when he doesn't need to. Just a minor niggle there. I'm not sure if Chase being mind controlled by the crinoid was really necessary in the grand scheme of things. He's already been a Bond-esque villain of his own accord. It just seemed to throw something in at the late minute that didn't really matter. Wait, mind controlled? Yeah, after he goes out to take photos of it, he comes back alive and it's it's implied that he was let to... Like, the crinoid should have killed him. Yeah. And he was let to stay alive and effectively from then on was slightly under the control of... Oh, I didn't interpret it as such. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, Minnie, though. Yeah, I I think it's basically said that's the case. I don't think it's clear if that is what's happened, but it's the way people have interpreted it, as in the doctor interprets it. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. It just seemed a bit of a throwaway thing. It wasn't really necessary. Felt like filler, almost. Um, There's a very weird moment where they're all holed up in the manor because the the criminal is attacking them. Chase has already been taken over, and they carefully move all the plants outside, one by one. They don't just throw them out. They all move them to the same <laughs> same spot so that Chase gets an opportunity to come and lock them out. And it's just like, oh, that's a bit that's a bit pathetic. And then uh, at the end, when it seems like there's certain doom for Sarah Jane and the Doctor because he's called in the the air... The five planes that turn into two planes. Oh, really? <laughs> I missed that detail. Yeah. But he's called in the, the bomb squad to blow shit out of everything. So selfless. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, yeah, okay, they've got no way of escaping. Oh, wait, they've managed to free themselves and they got two feet away from the manor. That's okay, then. Those bombs <laughs> won't affect them at all. <laughs> Which, minor, minor niggles. And, uh, you know, that's that's me scraping the bar- barrel, really, to have something to say yeah. negatively about. <laughs> so, you know what? Fuck it. 4.8. 4.8? Oh, marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> that's where my brain went at the end of it. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, I think this is televised Doctor Who <clears throat> branching out into the cinematic. <laughs> uh, and I nice. think if I have to get to the root of what makes this serial so amazing... All right, don't <laughs> It is a foe who is all but down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I will start with a foe, though, because we do have in Mr. Chase a Bond villain who is better than most Bond villains. In fact... Much of this serial, in its ambience and in the in the motivation of of the culprit of the antagonist, resembles a, a very cinematic Bond structure. Maybe not Bond. Maybe Bond is a bad example. But you know, any nineteen seventies adventure, you have a hero. That kind of story. It follows this this structure here, and it works for me. The villain's motivation, his maniacal obsession with plant supremacy. It is all. Absolutely absurd, but in that absurdity, it is absolutely believable, and I, I, I'm buying it from, from the, the first moment. His henchmen, who are ridiculous, they are parodies of henchmen, but I believe it, I buy it from the first moment they show up on screen. The creepy ambience is probably what I remember the most from when I saw this as a kid, and I am still creeped out by it as an adult. And I don't think that's just, like, harkening back to childhood trauma. I think that's just because this is an incredibly effectively constructed serial. You mentioned the pacing. I agree. The But in addition to that, the the, 
the story, the acting, the locations. We have the Antarctic. We have the mansion. We have the like this gratuitous lingering on the statue of I want to say Queen Elizabeth the first for like two full minutes for <laughs> no reason. It really gets to me. The general production value of this serial, out of this world, the creature effects, the miniature effects, the, it, the very limited green screen or blue screen or whatever it is, the oh, the rotoscoping, if you whatever. It's brilliant. And I think if you don't like this serial from the get-go, and, and heaven forfend if you don't, then surely by the end of part three, it will have, dare I say, grown on you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Sarah Jane is fantastic. <laughs> she and the Doctor, as I said, they're a dynamic duo. I see what you're saying, and I agree. There are some sort of sexist 1970s moments, but I view them in the context of the 70s. If this serial were to be made in this fashion today, I would be stripping it of points. But contextually, I, I get it, and they're still they're trying, you know. But the Doctor is really where it's at. This is the Doctor that I recall from my childhood. But even if you if you don't have that memory, then I think this is probably the version of the Doctor that most people, who have never seen Classic Who, that most people will associate with Classic Who, like this kind of Tom Baker. Like, this exemplifies the series. Yeah. Story with a good formula, written very well by Robert Banks Stewart, whose Terror of the Zygons we reviewed very recently, and whose face was among those seen during the brain jousting scene in Brain of Morris. Oh, right. Oh, I, last time that we get to see the so-called Brachaki, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, police box, that that model of the TARDIS, which is uh, when I went on TARDISBuilders.com uh, to submit my plans and my picture and whatever, I said it was a Brachaki-esque TARDIS because I was trying. Tiny tiny little... Go for it. In there. Is that because it collapsed during this yeah, episode? On, while they were in it. On Elizabeth Sladen <laughs> is, is the note I have on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I thought it was both of them, but yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, that prop had seen a lot. I mean, I started off saying that I, uh, I'm I'm starting from a point of 5.0. You know, uh, uh, that that's the score I'm starting with, and and gradually we have worn me down from a very high 5.0 to a uh, less high. Should we say a low 5.0? Oh. <laughs> this serial <laughs> wow. is perfect. <laughs> Uh, this is the best Tom Baker serial that we've reviewed to date. Possibly the best classic serial. For me, the, the one that I will rewatch the most often from here on out. And uh, certainly the one that rings the most bells for me. And therefore tugs at my heartstrings. I love this serial. 5.0. Fuck everyone who disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> Sorry for the F-bomb. Listen to minis? Yes. <laughs> Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron. Two listener minis have come in for this. Uh, yeah, we didn't give you a lot yeah, of notice, yeah, we? really we? didn't. <laughs> Apologies for that. Depending on time constraints, etc., we may finagle in some future gyms or future Leons, we'll see. But for now, we've got first up out of the gate, Paul Forber. Hey there, Paul. Hello, Paul. Yeah, Paul's sent us a lovely synopsis, as usual. We should point out, he sent this to us two months ago. Paul, you are ahead of your time. By which I mean, ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> you are ahead of us by two months. Very impressive stuff. So, 
is a little bit over our usual review limit of 250 words. Yeah, it's it's almost twice that. Yep, yep. So <laughs> we're doing a little snipperoonie from the start and a little snipperoonie from the end. That's right. Do you want to do the start? Okay, Paul starts. The Seeds of Doom is the best example of how producer Philip Hinchcliffe and script editor Robert Holmes linked two and four part stories to create six part serials. Ooh. Its first two episodes introduce the characters and the threat. A pair of carnivorous crinoid seed pods unearthed after 20,000 years. Let's put a pin in that, because I've got some trivia. And let's jump straight to the end. Paul concludes by saying, The Seeds of Doom was a well-paced, action-packed story, perhaps intended for John Pertwee with Tom Baker in the lead. Its structure followed Hinchcliffe and Holmes's blueprint in which an ancient threat entranced a human to do its will. Interesting. Pyramids of Mars. Feels rings bells. Mm. The narrative employed memorable characters like Harrison Chase, Amelia Ducart, that's Duckett, and Scorby as it cranked up tension until the crinoid threat level became global. Units, even without the Brigadier and his team, fought the alien plant against which the Doctor's knowledge was essential for victory and survival. <laughs> Trying to make my voice raspy there. But... <laughs> Uh, I like that. Very, very good. It, let's just to return to that pin. There's a bit of trivia associated with the whole the thing that Paul said about a two-parter and a four-parter mm. sploshed together. That wasn't the original intention. This was meant to be a six-part episode. However, it very nearly wasn't because they accidentally misplaced the first two parts. Oh, I read this on Todd's Wiki or IMDb or whatever. But they they misplaced the first two parts, like the tapes for the first two parts. They misnumbered the the boxes and for a while were contemplating how to rewrite the serial to be a four-part serial without the whole Antarctica bit. So it would just have started with Chase. Wow. Yeah. That would be a very different beast. It very nearly was. Glad that this was written as a six-part thing because it, it felt like a six-part thing. Yes. It didn't feel like things Absolutely. mashed together. No, 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 yeah. not at all. And Good. it's spectacular. Uh, Paul, thank you very much. People of Podcast Land who are not Paul, please go to whobackone.com, read Paul's maxi in his full splendor. And also, please head on over to Twitter and say hello to Paul. High five him from us. He can be found at WordsmithPaul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Next up, we've got Trenton Blairs. Hey there, Trenton. Hello, Trenton. Trenton starts. This is JD's worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Trenton proving that he has been listening to us from the start. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Thank you, Trenton. Giant plant monsters and possibly an inspiration for John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm. The Seeds of Doom was just one more story to go along with this darker season and probably the best way to top off this season filled with gothic horror. The crinoids, though simply axon costumes sprayed green, are great. Just like in Carpenter's The Thing, they can take you over and turn you into these grotesque monsters. Unlike The Thing, however, we get out of the polar setting and see what might happen if these things get loose. The entirety of Earth would be taken over by the plants. You wouldn't be able to trust that flower in your back garden. Oh, hell no. Hell no! (laughs) (laughs) Harrison Chase was a wonderful villain, says Trenton. Unlike the other world dominators and destroyers, his plan is centered around sympathy for the plants. Unlike Solon from Brain of Morbius, he's slick and calm and isn't as violent as Solon. He's almost like the warlord in that respect. However, I could also compare him to Poison Ivy from Batman. Oh, nice. Mm. With the exception that Chase has no power over the plants. I beg to differ. Towards the end, it feels like he does. Like he, I mean, he communes with them. 
Mm. That's kind of that's a form of influence. Anyway, that's a that's an excellent uh, comparison. Trenton continues. This is Tom Baker at his finest. Agreed. He's charming, funny, and clever. Agreed on all points. This is basically the first third of his era in a nutshell. Right here, Elizabeth Sladen is great as always too. Definitely the height of the show's golden age here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Overall, says Trenton, Seeds of Doom is great. Like Brain of Morbius, it's got that horror movie feel. That movie's from Universal Hammer can give off. JD, keep a weed whacker handy, because this CL is getting a 4.3 out of 5 from me. I thought you said it was great. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Nice stuff, Trenton. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, people who are not Trenton Frednot, you can follow Trenton online and read his online thoughts. He can be found at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two what's Jim? Creepy vines that are trying to kill you. <laughs> Marvellous. <laughs> Just dawned on me, we talked very briefly before we press record, I think, about the gloves, about, uh, what's his face, Chase's gloves. Yeah. And how he always wears these gloves, except in one scene where he doesn't wear them. Which scene is that? I don't know. It's when he's not with plants. I wonder if maybe he wears those gloves when he interacts with, with plants. He answers the phone with them on. He's, That's he's a good writing point. a check with them. No, you're right. <laughs> he wears those gloves in every scene, in every aspect of his life, except that one scene that the I don't remember. The one scene where the actor came back from the John and forgot to put them on again. Probably. <laughs> oh, I forget them. No one will notice. <laughs> but I was thinking, wouldn't it have been amazing if... You know, it's Dr. No from James Bond. He take he was wearing these, not gloves, but it's it's actually their robot hands or something. But wouldn't it be amazing if Chase took off his gloves and he had green thumbs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Sorry. Right, okay. Next up, a, a new review, namely Hyde. Yes, Hyde. Hyde from what? Oh, wait, that's the name of it. Oh, okay. That is it. Oh, yes. sorry. <laughs> And the next classic, we'll be starting a whole new series. Oh, yes, that's right. With The Mask of <gasps> Mandragora. Oh, the tight. I know this is a legendary serial. I don't remember it at all. Oh, this is going to be great. Oh, this is going to be so... I'm so excited. Are you excited? I am excited. Are you excited to jump into season 14? 14, With yeah. a four-parter. Oh, nice. That's right. In the meantime, you can say hello to us online. You can high-five Jim. He can be found at... Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what? The Who. That's right. <laughs> and I am at Pumpkin. You know how to spell that. Well, one hopes. Thank you again for being such a lovely audience. Oh, I, I must go water my plants now. Okay, toodaloo. Okay, no. Rock on and cha-chao and bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone go and sing your plants. We will be here. Requiem Floria. No, no. Cards, cards, cards. <laughs> See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?